Hi, welcome to the No Contact Club. Um, you're here with Chloe and that's it. <laughs> um, Portia's still not well, still can't really speak very well, so she's not here and Alan's busy at work, so I thought I'd just do a kind of easy episode by myself. Um, I really want to read out some of the emails that we've got um, and feedback and stuff and I thought this would be a good episode to do without Portia basically because um, I know she has a lot of memories and and you know things she wants to talk about so I don't really want to do any important episodes without her. Um, yeah uh, also I apologize if you hear my computer in the background I'll do my best to keep it quiet. Um, but yeah, it's giving me, uh, I've got the emails up obviously. So, um, yeah, so Portia's still not well. Um, but I'm hoping she'll be back for next week's episode. Um, but until then you guys are stuck with me. (laughs) Um, yeah, so it's kind of weird because there's no banter. I'm just kind of talking to myself in my office, my, at my desk, but, um, there's not much, not much I can do about that really. Um, it's it's weird because there's nobody to say, you know, what have you been up to? And nobody for me to ask that question. Um, so what have I been up to? Um, I've been learning Dutch, actually, which is, is so fun, but also so hard. Um, both Ellen and I want to move to the Netherlands at some point in our life in 10, 20, God knows how many years. Um, so we really want to learn Dutch, but oh my goodness, it's 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 like hard and easy like it's very much like English but then you get these really long words with like really sounding noises in them and you gotta wrap your mouth around it it's quite it's quite tricky but you know it's it is what it is so yeah we've been we've been doing that slowly um I really really like learning languages it's like one of my favorite things to do but I I'm notorious for not sticking at it so we're trying our best to well I'm trying my best to keep at this one and and not give up sort of thing halfway. I did French and Japanese at school and um, passed with flying colors, but I couldn't. I mean, I can barely remember any of it. So that's how that went. Um, Yeah, so I don't really know what else to talk about when I'm by myself. Um, Yeah, okay. Well, I guess we'll just get into it then. Hey, while we are knowledgeable about this stuff because of our collective experiences, we aren't professionals. We research what we talk about and our references are in the show notes, but please don't take anything we say as gospel. If you feel like you need support, you can reach out to us at thenocontactclub at gmail.com or see the links in the show notes. Thanks. So basically today I just want to read out some of the emails that we've been getting um, and we've got permission from all of these people to share um their words either with their name or with you know a a fake name um but yeah we've gotten some really good ones um from people who are in the same boat as us or who have previously gone no contact and are now speaking to their mother again um lots of different situations and it was really exciting for us a couple of them are people that we know personally um but also a lot of them aren't and it's for Portia and I, it was just so amazing to reach out to people who we don't know, you know, it's one thing to get encouraging emails and and comments from family and friends, but to get an email from, you know, America or South Africa, it's like somebody out there is listening and, and we appreciate it so much. Like it's, 
it's amazing. So yeah, that's basically what I wanted to do this episode. Um, the first email is from a lady called Julie, not her real name. Um, and she went no contact with her mother for six years. Um, so she was 20 when she walked out the door and she said that her mother's words to her as she walked away were, if you don't know what you've done to me now, you'll never know. And right after that, she's put, I didn't know what I'd done to her at all. Um, which is quite interesting. I think that's quite a common thing with narcissistic mothers that, you know, there's this perceived problem, but actually, you know, there's nothing there. So, um, Julie writes, um, I went through a two year period to understand why I lacked confidence, why I doubted myself so much and why I harbored resentments and fears. In that time, I met people, shared experiences, watched others' relationships, and came to understand that there was something wrong that I perhaps had not fully understood. The next two years saw me discovering my actual abilities, succeeding with a new attitude, and desiring to be more than I felt I ever could be. The freedom to make decisions without negative put-downs, the freedom to take risks, risks without the fear of criticism, and, you know, that criticism is you're learning to be, yeah, sorry, you're learning to understand that that's unfounded criticism. Um, the last two years, I felt stronger and more aware of myself, my aims, my talents, and my achievements. I worked at accepting that my mum was the type of person she was because of her own experiences, her own parents, and her own circumstances. Then you know it doesn't have to control you or hurt you anymore. That's when I felt that I could reconnect, but with a solid wall around my emotions and objective understanding of my mother's shortcomings as a parent. I choose to recognize that I could be a mother who loved unconditionally, encouraged whatever my children aimed for, and be there for my children physically, spiritually, and emotionally. That's such a, that's the end of her uh, words. That's such a encouraging story because I know for some people that no contact is the end, like there'll never be a point in time where that person wants to go back in contact. And for myself, I mean, I can't speak for my other sisters. For myself, I, at the moment I'm in that place, I don't, I don't know if I will go back, but you know, it's encouraging to see that somebody else, I mean, she's set it out so perfectly, the transformation and journey that she went through of like, understanding why she lacked confidence, why she doubted herself, and then discovering, you know, what she was capable of and able to be aware of of her talents and achievements and, and you know, realise that the criticism that was heaped upon her was unfounded. That's, that's the biggest thing is that, you know, it's very easy to internalise parents, I mean, in this case, narcissistic mothers, words that they say about you, you know, you're not good at this, you'll never be good at this. And it's, it's easy to internalize that and, and regard it as fact, like, "Mm, she's right, I'll never be good at this. And, and down the line, you know, oh, I can't do that. I'm not good at that. And you don't even recognize that that's where it's come from as your, your parent, your mother. Um, so unpacking that, um, like historical, I guess trauma and, and, and historical way of viewing yourself is massive. And I mean, it probably takes a lifetime really. I mean, you know, I I'm still in that process myself, but yeah, it's, it's nice to read Julie's email and just, you know, 
see her her journey and know what it's like for other people that that doesn't have to be your story it doesn't have to be my story that's just her story and you know it's it's nice to share um so the second email is actually from my dad (laughs) he wrote in after our um podcast episode on the scapegoat the scapegoat was episode two if you'd like to go back and listen to that one um yeah so he kind of wrote in about his experience um of being the scapegoat and what that meant for him and um you know how it felt basically to be that bad guy um and and this is exactly um his words he says I was the bad guy everything was my fault it was like there was nothing I could do or say that would change things she my mother narcissistic mother was using my love for my children to get what she wanted if I could not give her what she wanted, usually money, she would ban access to my girls. I would get emails from their accounts with words that they clearly did not type, saying untrue, hurtful, and scary things. Um, just a quick note there about the money thing. Um, I think Portia and I have mentioned it, but we contacted the um, family courts um, from when we were growing up and got some papers regarding um, any legal action that was involving us. Um, and there was a, uh, affidavit from my dad. Um, and in it, it said that over the course of, I think a couple of months, he'd given like a thousand dollars for towards a power bill. And then he's like, Hey, look, let me just call them and sort it myself. And he found that over that time, only $50 had gone to that bill. So he'd been giving my mum money under the pretense of providing power for the house so that we could have, you know, warmth and (laughs) things like that. And she wasn't spending it on that at all. And there's a lot of stories like that. I think we'll probably get into in another episode, but that's just one example of, you know, mum trying to get all she could from him. And when that didn't happen, you know, she would, she would not let us talk to him. Um, And also a quick note there is that for me personally, it was framed as I didn't want to talk to my dad because I was told he wasn't helping us. You know, we would complain that we were hungry or that we wanted, um, you know, I don't know, to go out to dinner or get pizza. And she would say, well, you need to tell your dad that because he won't give me any money to help you. So it was very much framing that as like, he's the bad guy. Um, and it's, it's very, it's very, manipulative and and to look back now it's really sad but I mean yeah that's that's a story for another another episode um so dad goes on to write um my depression overwhelmed me at times my partner and close family were also affected by my dark moods and at times I was in complete sorry complete despair as the scapegoat I was powerless and the hurt and anger and frustration would stop me from functioning and at times prevented me from seeing any positives in my life. The main thing that I kept getting told that time will change things and I will see a brighter day. This is very hard to hear but and believe, sorry, but in my case I held on to this and it has been just that because things are simply awesome now. My message for those estranged family members is to never give up talk to the right people, share your hurt, and one day you will not be seen as the the bad guy. And I can tell you that feeling is worth... I can't talk today. Again, I can tell you that feeling is worth the wait. Um, Yeah, so that's a really, really inspiring message um, from from him. And and it's interesting to sort of get that 
another perspective on um, that scapegoat role. Um, we'll also probably talk about this whole situation with my dad, etc. when we mention, uh, sorry, when we do an episode on parental alienation, um, because that was a massive part of our childhood and the dynamic growing up. So yeah, we'll definitely delve into that more later, but yeah, thank you dad for your email. <laughs> so the next email is from a lady called Anne. Um, she is from Tennessee in the United States. Um, and I think I'm just going to read her email just straight up and then have a talk about it. So she says, Chloe and Portia, thank you so much for your podcast. I just discovered it today. It's nice to have a sister. Sorry if you just heard my dog. It's nice to have a sisterhood that I can listen to who truly understands. I went no contact about nine months ago. My sister still has contact with our mother, even though she deals with the drama of narcissism on a regular basis. For me, contact with my mother was just too toxic. Also, having a daughter of my own, I felt I feel a need to protect my child from her. Society and myself put so much guilt on me for having no contact. It's not something you can share with other people and have them understand. It's nice to know I'm not alone. I appreciate you that you have created this podcast and I hope that you'll continue it, Anne. I can't tell you how nice it was for us to receive this email because that line of society and myself put so much guilt on me for having no contact and it's not something you can share with other people and have them understand. That just, it was so uh, affirming, I guess, that other people are doing this exact same thing and, and are in the exact same boat as us because it's very easy to feel to feel that guilt because, you know, you love your mother. You're supposed to love your mother. You look after your mother. You respect your mother. And and society teaches you that you... To, to not speak to someone, to go no contact with someone is fine when it's, you know, a toxic friend or, you know, a co- co-worker who's toxic. But when it's a family member and specifically a parent, it's like, no, you have to have a relationship with your mother. But like, you don't. <laughs> so it's really, really nice to see um, that other people can relate and, and you know, can have this um, understanding, I guess, of where we're at and where they're at. And yeah, it, it's like she says, it's nice to know that we're not alone. So I responded to her email and she actually put a little bit more um, in her second email. She said, Um, My mother definitely believes and has told me numerous times that I am indebted to her for bringing me into this world. Um, She told my daughter that she is the reason my daughter has a life. She was trying to manipulate my daughter, her granddaughter, into believing that she is indebted to her as well. I have believed my whole life that I was the one responsible for her happiness. No matter how hard I tried, I could never get it right. There have to be so many people out there who need to hear your podcast for support. That's so kind. Um... Yeah, she said, I'm not alone. It's not just me. I have so much guilt for going no contact, but I know that by walking away from the constant drama and toxicity, my child, my husband and myself have much better lives with less stress and anxiety. It's truly amazing how much damage one person can create in so many people. I mean, that, like, no stress, no anxiety. Um, Not no stress, but the, the level of stress and anxiety and just weight on your shoulders that gets lifted when you go no contact with this narcissistic person is indescribable like 
I didn't, I felt the guilt and I felt sadness and, you know, a lot of negative emotions, but I also felt this overwhelming lightness, I guess you could describe it, that it just, it's so, I don't even know how to describe it, to be honest. It's quite like life-giving because although there are um, remnants, I guess, of that trauma and, and, you know, stress, anxiety, depression, whatever it may be, it doesn't take away the fact that it's so much easier to deal with those things without that person in your life. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So thank you, Anne, for your email. That's really, really kind. And it's so nice to hear these lovely words. Uh, the last email that I want to read is from a lady in South Africa. Um, I think I pronounced her name Sunel. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of lines from it and then we can talk about it. We, I can talk about it. Um, so she says, first of all, I want to thank you for what you girls are doing. It's so unbelievably validating to hear your stories and be able to commiserate with other adults who have had the same experiences that I have. I have had, sorry. Every now and again, one of you says something and I have another, aha, me too moment. I'm from South Africa. I'm the eldest of three kids. My youngest brother and sister are living with my narcissistic mum, and I feel very alienated at the moment. Truth be told, I have been a scapegoat for a very long time. My mother is emotionally manipulative, abusive, and petty. I could honestly write three books about all the emotional scars she has left on me, and I still struggle with some of these now as an adult. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to see the themes that run through these emails and how um, similar they are to our own stories and other other people's stories. You know, it's so alienating to be that person who's non-contact when the other siblings are still in contact. And, you know, Portia and Bridie and I can obviously relate to that. Um, Sunel says, I'd like to ask you, how have you handled going no contact as sisters? Were there times when one of you knew your mother was toxic, but the others felt more loyal towards your mum? When you first realized that your mum was narcissistic, was it difficult explaining that to your sisters or did it immediately click for all three of you? My mum is extremely good at dividing us emotionally and one of us always feels sorry for her and ends up playing the peacekeeper. There seems to be a lot of mistrust among, among us and it's sad. I don't want to interfere with their relationship with our mum, but I want them to know the whole truth. I want them to realize that I have their best interests at heart. I'm not trying to vilify our mum. I want them to realize that they are being manipulated and that they are putting her interests before their own. So we responded to Sunel and I kind of want to talk about our response a little bit because um, I think it's I think it's important. So Portia and Bridie and I are all kind of at the point where we feel like they're isn't much we can do you know we want to have a relationship with the sister who won't speak to us and to help our younger sister but they both view our mum as a saint and and having done nothing wrong and it's shitty like it's a really shitty spot to be in because you feel like you know you can see everything clearly and these people that I mean they're stuck in this um I guess like whirlwind or tornado of of this narcissistic mother and, and everything, the dynamics surrounding that. So, you know, we can't force them to see our side. And the biggest thing that we have started to do that I think Portia has actually brought up on a previous episode is to react appropriately. appropriately. So, you know, my mum makes a drama out of everything. Um, so 
if we, I mean, we don't speak to her, but if we hear of something through our younger sister that's weird or, um, you know, that doesn't need to be made a big deal out of, we'll react appropriately and react normally to try and keep the drama out of it, you know. Um, it, it, it's really frustrating being on this side and, and not being able to shake them and say, hey, look, you know, you're being manipulated. And, and I'm sure anyone in this position can, can relate because it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. It's very, um, hard to see someone you love in that position and not be able to say, Hey, you're in trouble. Let me help you. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't talk too much on it because I don't want to speak for my two younger sisters, um, who are still in contact, um, but yeah, it, it was, it was hard going no contact when they still had contact. And, and I assume that it, it is very hard for my two younger sisters as well, because, you know, it, yeah, I, I can't, I can't speak for them, but yeah, so it, it's, it's tricky. It's, it's a tricky situation to be in. Um, Sunel actually uh, replied again and said, um, I tend to react badly to any sort of conflict and perhaps that's why I've been the scapegoat to begin with. Let's just say I was also the truth teller of the family to my own detriment. My mum's quite good at playing the victim. Uh, Yes, mine too. (laughs) And as I'm sure you know, you can't have a victim without a villain. In the past, I've managed to keep a cool head because it only made my mum look more childish and certainly put the whole stupid argument into perspective. Hopefully it might give my siblings a bit of perspective as well. I mean, yeah, it's it's so frustrating. And, and I wish that there was, I wish there was a way to just put everything out on the table and make everything clear um, for siblings, you know, who are in that dynamic still. But unfortunately, you know, they're on their own journey in the same way that we are. So, you know, it, as much as it's hard to see them still in that position, um, I think it also, you have to put yourself first. You've always got to put yourself first. So you can't go crazy trying to show them the light, you know, all you can do is show them how you're growing and how you're changing and how much happier you are and hope that, you know, in time they'll want that for themselves and and maybe do a bit of research or come to you for help. Um, But yeah, so thank you, Sunel, for that email that was um, really kind. Uh, those are all the emails I really wanted to read today. Um, just a, a nice short little episode for your drive to work or maybe your morning walk with the dogs. Um, I just want to thank everyone, even those that I haven't read out, um, for emailing because it's so, it's so kind and, and, you know, to take the time to email us is, it means a lot to Portia and I, and, you know, it, it's sometimes I think I've said before that it just feels like we're talking to ourselves sometimes. And I have said that even if we are just talking to ourselves and nobody listens, that's okay because this is helpful for us. And this is beneficial for us to, to kind of, um, have this like one-on-one therapy with each other where we just talk about shit. So, um, but it is really nice to hear that people are resonating with what we're saying and can relate to what we're saying. And yeah, we appreciate it so much to anybody who takes the time to comment or send an email or, you know, like our Facebook page or anything like that. It's, it's, yeah, it's really nice. Um, so hopefully Portia will be back next week. 
um, and we'll have a, a normal episode, hour-long <laughs> ramble for you. Um, I hope you haven't minded listening to my voice for the week. Um, yeah, thank you so much and stay classy.